Amos chapter 8. We're almost done. Next week we'll be finishing up the book of Amos. I'm really excited about chapter 9. I've been, look, I've been looking forward to doing chapter 9 since I started studying the book of Amos. And, uh, but we've got to save the best for last. But uh, I want to show you something here that I, I think there's some really good lessons that we can learn in here. And I believe that there is something that we're going to see here in chapter 8 that I think that we are seeing in our country. And so the, the title of tonight's message is Amos 8, The Worst Kind of Famine. Okay, And uh, we've all, we all know what famines are. You know, We've all been through droughts and things like that. I think it was our first summer that we were here. We had a huge drought that year, just like no rain or anything. But uh, we see a, uh, we see famines here in this chapter, but there's one specific kind of famine that I think is the worst kind of famine. And I believe we've got this kind of famine going on in our country right now. There's no doubt about that. Some of you probably know what it is. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my pe- people of Israel, I will not again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. So so here we see more doom and gloom for Israel. It has been bad throughout the book of Amos for Israel. Just I mean, and it's getting kind of repetitive too, isn't it? I mean, it's just pretty much repetitive that God's done. You know, they're in trouble. Judgment's coming. There's no turning back. We see little spaces for hope for a remnant. But as a whole, when it comes to the northern kingdom, they are done for. The southern kingdom had, they had a chance. Things were spared for them. But the northern kingdom, they're done for. And God, once again, He's reminding them, the end is coming. And notice how He mentions, you know, that basket of summer fruit that's there. And He, I believe what He's kind of showing them here, you know, you know, there's your food. That's kind of what y'all been worshiping. We've seen in the previous chapters how you know they were well fed, so they were happy. They had full bellies, so what do they need to worry about? But God said, "I'm going to take all those things away because God had blessed them so much. They had forgotten the Lord, just like He had warned them about. And their full bellies is one of the things that had destroyed them. It was one of the things that got them to forget God. And so God's basically saying, "I'm going to take that away. Y'all are going to lose that food." And once you lose that food, the singing you're doing, the singing that we saw in other chapters, in some of the previous chapters, remember how they had invented themselves these instruments of music? They were making all these new ways to basically entertain themselves and to pleasure themselves. Not that there was anything wrong with eating, nothing, there was nothing wrong with feasting, there was nothing wrong with music and having some mirth and some pleasure, but the problem is they got so obsessed with these things, they got so caught up in these things, They had forgotten the Lord. And so God said, I'm going to have to take these things away from you. And we talked about it before, how that was not cruel, because these things were keeping them from God, and as a result of it, you know, if they don't get right with God, if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. And so it wasn't cruel when God took these things away. You're better off being poor on this earth and getting saved than being rich on this earth and going to hell just ask the rich man and Lazarus. We talked a little bit about them on Sunday night. He in his lifetime, he received his good things, Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. So God never did anything cruel. It was not cruel when God would take away these things. It was the best thing he could have done. Anything that you can do to get people looking to God, anything to get them saved, I mean, it's worth doing. It is an act of compassion. It is an act of kindness. And so... 
We see it says in verse 3, it says the songs of the temple shall be howlings. Their singing was going to be turned into howling. You know, before they'd increased the instruments, they were living for the pleasure. They were living for the mirth. These things, they were obsessed with these things, but it was about to change. And that's what we are in this country. Listen, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I'm thankful for some of the modern conveniences we have. I'm thankful for, uh, you know, technology and cell phones and smartphones. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing, but at the same time, it's clear people live for these things, isn't it? I mean, just walk down the street, what's everybody doing? You know, staring at their cell phones. You know, looking at their cell phones. Even in churches today, a lot of times people sitting in the service are looking at their cell phones. I mean, they can't even sit through a service without playing around. You know, without playing a video game, without texting somebody, without communicating somebody. We had a lady here one time, she would like always be texting on her phone. And sometimes she'd like get up and walk out of the service on her phone. It's like, you know, you can't sit for one hour. You know, you can't, you can't handle one hour. But you know what? The people think, I deserve this. I mean, I remember our, the teenagers when, I, when we had the youth group, whenever we would do certain activities, I remember if we would tell them, yeah, you guys aren't allowed to bring your cell phones. I mean, it was like you told them they weren't allowed to breathe oxygen. You know? I have a right to my cell phone. Like, no, you don't. This is a youth group, all right? This isn't a government institution. Well, you know, we're, we're going to camp. We're going to whatever. We can tell you whatever rules we want. And if you don't like it, you don't have to go. But they would. They would act so violated. And, you know, why? Why do you need these things so bad? You know why? Because we're just addicted to pleasure. We're addicted to comfort. And you, you ought to see it at work, all right, in, in the break room they have there. In the one break room, the TV hasn't been working for a long time, you know, and everybody just everybody sits there and it's like, what do we do? You know, apparently we have to eat our food and talk to each other now, you know, and it's, uh, you know, everybody just acts like victims because they can't, they can't even have, you know, we, we only have a 25 and a 20 minute break. That's all we have. And you, you, you have to have TV during that time. You know, you can't work a 10 hour shift and not watch TV. You know, now you can even go to the restaurants. You go to a fast food restaurant. TV's everywhere. You know, and some of these places too, I mean, you can sit in one spot and see four different TVs. You know, so you can watch news, you can watch sports, you can watch soap operas and cartoons all at the same time. I mean, really. You know, it, it just, it just shows how pathetic we are, just how obsessed we are with these things. You know, everybody's, everything's got to have Wi-Fi and stuff like that. Otherwise, the millennials aren't going to go there. You know, and you, and you do. And then, and it just, it, you know, it makes me sick too, all right? I'm just ranting right now because th- this just reminds me of America. But you know, one of the things that makes me sick are these just wimpy, queer little millennials that don't even have a job that will sit in Starbucks drinking $5 drinks, playing around on their smartphones all day. You know, that's just pathetic. You know, I'm sorry, you know, when you haven't even got a job, don't be drinking at Starbucks, you know, and they, but they do, they go and they bum money off their mamas and their grandmas that they're living with and things like that. It's just the most pathetic thing ever. I was in a McDonald's one time, uh, and I'm sitting in there eating, and there were these, there were these four characters, all early 20s, that were completely able-bodied. And it was one of these deals where, I, you know, I observe people and I'm watching them and they're, they're, they're all sitting there. They're all on their smartphones. Uh, and I had to wait there for a long time. It was when I was doing the estimates and I was, I was waiting for someone. I had to be there for a while. And these people, they, they, they were in there the whole time I was there. And I'm kind of listening to the conversation and stuff. And they see one of the guys and they're talking to him. And he had gotten thrown out of the homeless shelter. 
They all live together at the homeless shelter there in town. And they're all eating McDonald's. They're all on their smartphones. And I'm thinking, how does a homeless person have a smartphone? You know? I mean, I don't know if it was an Obama phone or one of those things like that. But I'm, I'm sorry. If you don't even have the money for a place to live, how do you have money for a smartphone? But it's like we think these things are all right. And just, you know, sitting there, stuffing their faces with fast food, sitting around, playing on their cell phones. And it just, that, that kind of stuff makes me sick. And sometimes I want the grid to go down in this country. You know, just, just, no, I won't say that. I was thinking, just so we can just purge some of this junk. Because some of these people would die within a week. Alright? I wouldn't do it. We wouldn't have to. You know, they'd all be jumping off cliffs after one week of no cell phone. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take that long. And it does, but it does, it makes me sick. And think how sick it makes God. To think that we're so blessed. And because we're so blessed, we've allowed these blessings to cause us to forget about God. And people, they're not even interested in the things of God. They're not even interested in the house of God. They're not interested in the word of God because they're just obsessed and consumed with these modern conveniences that the only reason we have them is because we are blessed. And because God has been so good to us. And so it's a sad thing. But one of these days, one of these days, you know what? The singing is going to turn to howling. For us too. Just like it happened to Israel, it's going to happen in this country too. Look at verse 4. It says, Hear this. O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sow corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, wheat making an ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. Right here, Israel had been taking advantage of the poor. Now, we're not even going to take time to go back to all the places in the Old Testament law where God told them not to take advantage of the poor, not to countenance a poor man in his cause, to make sure that you're willing to lend to your brother and to, and, to, and to lend to your neighbor, to make sure you open your hand wide to him, to be willing to help him out. The Bible also taught throughout, throughout the Bible, taught a false balance is an abomination. You know, divers' weights, those things were an abomination. To be crooked in your dealings was an abomination. And it was specifically said, you know, you make sure you're taking care of the poor. Let's look at a few of the scriptures on this. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 15 in verse 7. Because you see, here, here's why people take advantage of the poor. A lot of times, and, and don't, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but you know, some people are poor just because they're dumb. Alright? So, some people are stupid with their money. I right? say, so well, that, that's mean, that's cruel. Well, I'll, you know, here's how I can prove to you, not all, but many poor people are dumb. All right? Now listen, I'm poor myself in, in some standards, I guess you could say. All right? In other ways, I'm a rich man. All right? But here, here's the thing. Here's proof that a lot of poor people are dumb. All these uh, gaming places where they go and they gamble their money. You know, well, let's go do a survey in those places and let's see how many of those people are living in nice houses. Let's see how many, I wonder how many people that are making decent livings are going and spending their money at all these little, what are those things called? Just, yeah, those little casino places. You know, it, it, you know who goes to those places? Poor people and stupid people. And in many cases, they're the same. Okay? And, and if you wonder, if these people want to know why they are poor, 
All of them that are in those places is because they are stupid. All right. Same thing too with a lot of these loan sharks that are around here. Okay. These loan sharks, they tend to deal with people who are bad with their money. And you know what? Say, well, they're stupid, so it's their fault. No, you know what? We don't, we shouldn't take advantage of the simple. We shouldn't take advantage of dumb people. We shouldn't, you know, sometimes people are just desperate, you know? And either way, even if somebody's an idiot, I don't have the right to take advantage of them. Just because they're stupid doesn't mean I should try to confuse them, alright? You know, and some of the, you know, some of the people too, you know, you get some of these drive-through workers sometimes that I want to strangle, you know? It's like, I could probably play some tricks on them and get them to give me more change. That would be wrong. So yeah, well, they're stupid. It's their own fault. Doesn't matter, alright? We don't take advantage of people. We don't use a false balance. Those kind of things are an abomination to God. A false balance is an abomination. Okay? That's in the same category with the queers, folks. Do we really want to be in that category? So you know what? Let's not go ripping people off. Just because we can, taking advantage of people. And when, when we do, when we're good to the poor, you know, we're going to be better off as a whole. As a society, we are better off when we take care of the poor. And I'm not talking about our welfare system we have today. That helps keep people poor. Okay? But when we're actually helping the poor, we actually benefit more. Okay? Because here, why do people feel like they need to, or why do, why are people tempted to take advantage of the poor? Okay? Now, here's why I would be tempted to take advantage of a poor person. Because I'm wanting some instant gain. Alright? So I do. I want that instant gain. I want that instant hundred dollars or whatever. So I'm gonna, you know, I might be tempted to take advantage of them. That's why many people do that. That's why a lot of these bankers. That's why a lot of these loan sharks. They're just trying to get that quick money. They're trying to get that instant gain. That's what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about the fact that hey, if they do this, if they hurt that person that that person is going to have a harder time being a contributing member to society. It's actually going to hurt things more. Let me show you a few verses. So, us helping the poor, like the Bible commanded us to do, it actually is better for me personally in the long run. Okay, If I do, if I find a poor person out there, and I, I, find, I see an opportunity to rip them off of 100 bucks, that would benefit me more today. But I would be better off being fair to him. If I'm fair to him, I believe I would be better off in the long run. For two reasons. Alright? One is God will bless us when we help the poor. Alright? That's kind of the spiritual reason. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 15.7. It says, If there be among you a poor man, one of thy brethren, within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need and what he wanteth, which he wanteth. Beware that there be not in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing... The Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thy hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor and to thy needy in thy land. So notice the purpose 
of lending to your brother in this situation, it was not so you could make big money on the interest. In fact, they weren't supposed to charge usury to their brothers. The purpose of giving him a loan was to help him. To help him get on his feet. To help him get ahead. To help him be successful. It was good. God said, if you will help your poor brethren to be successful, to you know, get through that tough time that he's in, God said he will bless you. And I believe when we are helping the poor as individuals, as a community, as a nation, I believe God will bless us if we do that. I think that's one reason we benefit in helping the poor. But look at Exodus chapter 22. I actually think it makes mathematical sense to help the poor. All right, it says in Exodus chapter 22, verse 21, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger, nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. If thou lend money to any of thy people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him. By that the sun goeth down, for that is his covering only, it is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me, that I will hear, for I am gracious. So right there we see again, there is the curse of God is going to be on you if you're not helping them. But at the same time, notice you know, it's mentioning the fatherless. It's, it's mentioning the widows. It's mentioning people who are down and need help. Why do we benefit? How can we benefit by helping them? Okay, I mean, wouldn't it be easier if I could get the widows in town all paying me interest? You know, wouldn't that make me a richer person? Well, listen, one of the reasons that this famine was coming on Israel was part of it was it was the curse of God coming on them, but it was specifically for that one of the reasons was them not taking care of the poor, for them being crooked. And understand that many famines that come, it's not always just the supernatural work of God. Sometimes it's just it's natural, okay? A lot of the things economically that are happening in this country that are bad, it's not because of anything supernatural. It's because of bad policy. It's because of bad behavior. And think about this. If we have, all right, so let's just say in the church, all right? So we're a community here, right? And let's say I, I'm like the rich one here. I'm the guy that, you know, but I'm the one that's got the most money. And let's just say that in our little community, okay, I'm only going to be able to, I, I can only personally do so much work, right? So if I want to get really, really, I mean, like Donald Trump type rich, I've got to find a way to get people working for me, right? I got to find, I got to find a way to benefit off other people's labor. Well, the thing is, if I'm just trying to get what I can instantly all the time, that's going to tempt me to start ripping you off and being crooked. Well, if I do, if I go for the instant gratification and that instant money, and where I maybe I take your car, I take your truck, I take something that you get your livelihood from, now you're no longer able to do the work. 
You're no longer able to produce anything. Okay, so I've got more that I've accumulated instantly, but now I've got less working for me. You see what I'm saying? There's less that's being produced in my community. So what happens if there is a big famine? What happens if there is something catastrophic that happens? The fewer people there are producing things, the worse off I'm going to be. And the reason it's getting so bad in this country, we've got a lot of people trying to get that instant riches that are high up. They're ripping people off, taking away people's livelihood that actually are producing things. And we've got more and more people in our country out there who are producing nothing. And they're just kind of draining the system. We don't have enough people working in this country. And that creates problems. And some of that, I believe it's due to just bad practices that are, that are being done in our country. And if we would actually help the poor people, help them get to work, you know, not help them by just giving them food and stuff in their fat faces even more, but actually going and doing something to help them get to work, to help them produce something, to help them accomplish something, that's just more that we have in this country. That's more food that's out there. In those days, a lot of people farm. The more people that are farming, the more food that's out there. Well, that means the longer it's going to be before everybody runs out of food. There's only, because once again, I'm just one person. Even if I'm super rich, I can still only eat so much. So the more that's being produced, that's just more people that's able to be fed. And so you can see how God knew what he was talking about when he's telling them to, you know, help the poor and not take advantage of the widows. Don't take advantage of the orphans. The the purpose of that wasn't just so God could provide supernatural blessing. It just made common sense, too. It makes common sense to help poor people. But Israel hadn't done that. They've been taking advantage for years. And they they looked for opportunities to rip people off. They used false balances. They used these things that were abominations to God, just discouraging people. You know, and there's a lot of people, they are, they've been ripped off so much, they're just discouraged. They've given up, and we do. As a country, we need people working. We need people out there producing something and accomplishing something, and it's not happening in many cases. A lot of it's because people are lazy. A lot of it's because we're giving these people food and cell phones and televisions, and therefore they don't feel the need to work. But when people are working, it's going to be better. So, if, I am, if I'm helping poor people, I might not get as far ahead of everybody else, but I'll be less likely to starve. Okay? And you know what? That's what I should be worried about. You know, having food and raiment there with, let's be content. I don't need to become covetous and just get where I want to just have everything. Okay? And so if I'm actually helping people, I believe it would be, it'll be even harder for me to ever starve to death. It, you know, because I said, so if you got millions of dollars, well, great. Well, what if everybody stops producing stuff? What if there's no food? You can't eat the money, you know. So uh, anyway, so that's just kind of a little economic lesson right there, okay? But it, let's just so just basically the thing we got to realize: we need to help the poor, okay? Not help them be continue to be poor like our welfare system does, but actually helping them. God will bless us. And it is, it just, it makes common sense to help them. So look at verse 7, says, The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. That's scary right there. Shall not the land tremble for this? And every one mourn that dwelleth therein, and it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned 
as by the flood of Egypt. So right here, and when God's judgment falls, it's very clear that it's God's judgment. Okay, A lot of times I think we're way too quick to say God's judging this place because of this, God's judging this place because of that. I think we're too quick to do that sometimes. When God pours out His judgment, it's usually really obvious that it's God's judgment. Okay? You know, when Hurricane Katrina came and New Orleans got flooded, everybody's talking about, you know, it's the judgment of God, it's the judgment of God. Well, it could have just been because there's hurricanes in that area and New Orleans is below sea level. You know, it could have just been because of that. I understand it's a wicked place, but there was really nothing supernatural that happened there. You know, earthquakes happened, tornadoes happened. You know, and in the Bible, whenever God would pour out his judgment, it was always really, really obvious. And I think we get a little too quick to, you know, to do that sometimes. And I think I think we need to watch out for that. But God, you know, God remembering their works, you know, said it should have struck fear in their hearts. You know, shall not the land tremble for this? That God is going to remember their works. I mean, just you know, imagine. I know God doesn't really speak like this today, but you know, imagine if we had a prophet come to us today, and it was a prophet of God. It was clearly a prophet of God, and he came and prophesied and said. In one week, America will pay for the last uh, 50 years, however long it's been, of abortions. Now, if I heard that, I'm going to try to get out of this country. I mean, if I knew that we were getting judged in the next week for the abortions, I'm going to be scared. I'm going to be really scared because I know we've asked for it. And that's what he's basically telling Israel here. Hey, you ought to be trembling for this. God just said he's going to remember your works and he's not going to forget them. That should terrify you. But you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of all the people that we talk to when we're out soul winning. That when we ask them, hey, you know, what do you have to do? You know, you just got to be good. You know, you stand before God and if your good works. Really, you want to stand before God and talk about your works? You ought to tremble at the thought of that. You ought to fear that. You know, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know how scary that's going to be. We know the last thing we want to do is stand before God and talk about our works. But many people, that's their attitude. And you know what? That's why we've got to get out there and go soul winning so we can tell them, hey, you're supposed to tremble at the thought of standing before God and being judged according to your works. You know why? Because for the wages of sin is death. And, you know, that, we've got to tell people that they don't realize this. And it was the same thing with Israel. They didn't even realize what was coming. And unfortunately, for the most part, they didn't tremble at the thought of this. We saw in the chapter before, they just got mad at Amos and told him, you don't go down to Judah. Just get out of here. We don't want to hear this. The people, they can't handle it. So just get out of here. Go somewhere else with your prophecies. They would have just rather ignored it. But we do. We ought to, people ought to tremble at the thought of it. And Israel should have trembled at the thought of it. So look what it says in verse 10. It says, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and boldness upon every head. And I will make it as the mourning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. So right here, God, he was going to take away all those things that were causing them to forget. Okay, no submits. I'm going to turn your feast into mourning, your songs into lamentations. Right? They had all these great things. They had all the nice garments. They had the nice clothes. They had all these things. And so God's telling them, I'm going to 
take it away. You're going, you're going to lose all these things. And I mean, I've heard, I, I sometimes think it's like, you know what, one of the, you know, trumpets in the Bible should have been the grid going down. You know, cell phones not working. <laughs> I mean, that, that right there, that would have probably actually scared people into getting saved. They're not going to want to be here on the earth. When that, when that happens, that might get them saved if they knew that was coming when God pours his wrath out. But no, it, 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 just, it didn't work for these people. But then notice, so look what he says here in verse 11. So this is that, fan, so this, he's been talking about a famine of food. He's going to take away all these things. There's going to be a time of mourning. He mentioned all the dead. I mean, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, all these horrible things are about to come upon you. But then look what he says in verse 11. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. And that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. So right here, I personally believe what this is talking about. Not, I, I could be I could be wrong in this, but I personally believe what this is talking about right here, this famine that was coming. I think it's what we would call the silent the four hundred silent years. And if you when you read through the Bible, when you get to Malachi, that is the last book chronologically in the Old Testament. And then we've got about four hundred years. From Malachi to John the Baptist. And a lot of times people call those the silent years. Why? God wasn't speaking to Israel during that time. And one thing that's interesting, and one of the reasons I think that that's what this is all about, is you know, he said there's going to be a famine of the word of the Lord. And one thing that we see, when you, when you go through the major and the minor prophets, the time period that the, all those books are written in are pretty close together. A lot of them are like the book of Amos that are written right before the northern kingdom got taken captive by the Assyrians. A lot of these prophets, God sent many prophets during that time to give them the word of the Lord. There was no shortage of the word of the Lord during this time. God was speaking to them a lot. They just weren't listening. They were ignoring God. And so then, they end up getting taken captive. And then, when you get to... Um, you know, several years later, I forgot how many years later, before uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes through and before the Babylonians come through or the Chaldeans and they take over the southern kingdom, God sent many prophets during that time. You have, that's where you have like Isaiah and Jeremiah and people like that. And then during that time while they were captive, you know, you have guys like Daniel that came along. And you had, uh, and Jeremiah, he prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Daniel figured out that prophecy of, of the 70-year captivity. And then we have in Ezra and Nehemiah, basically many of those prophecies are being fulfilled and Israel is being restored to the land again. God gave them that 70 years of captivity. I mean, that very severe punishment during that time. But during that whole time, God was speaking a lot through the prophets. And then in Ezra and Nehemiah, you kind of have some revivals that, you know, were okay, that lasted for a short time, but eventually they end up in trouble again. And so what happens? What ended up happening is we have about 400 
years where God is pretty much silent with Israel. During that time, they're just kind of going all over the place. So when we had, you know, first the Assyrians came through, you know, then the Chaldeans came through, then you had, and during Daniel's time, the Medes and the Persians, you know, they defeated uh, Belshazzar during that time. And then the Bible doesn't record this. It's not in the Bible. But then you had the Greeks that came and took over. And then after that, you had the Romans that came and took over. And they were the ones who were in charge during Jesus' time. And Israel during that whole time, I mean, they're just kind of, I mean, horrible things are happening during that whole time. If you look at history, they had some rough years. During those years, there there was a lot of bad stuff that happened during that time. And then think about this. Eventually, when it gets to the Gospels, where first God sends John the Baptist, and then God sends his own son, look at how wicked they were. I mean, they were just completely wicked during that time. Listen to the way Jesus chewed out the Pharisees. Look at what was going on in the house of the Lord. Jesus had to go in there with a whip. And drive the people out. They're making merchandise of the people. In the house of God, they were not doing things according to the word of God. Not even close. And they eventually ended up going, after God sends his own son, what do they do? They kill him. They kill the messenger that God had sent. They killed God's own son in rebellion. That's how bad things had gotten during that time. And so right there, I personally believe that this famine of the word of the Lord, it was that period of time right there. When God just wasn't speaking. And you know there was probably people that wanted God to speak. They wanted God to do stuff. You know, they've been there. I'm sure there's many people that were probably calling on the Lord, asking, you know, Lord, deliver us from this enemy, deliver us from that enemy. But nothing really happened during all those years until finally Jesus Christ came. And so most of the major and minor prophets, it is, it's a pretty short time frame. God was speaking during those during those times, but most of those prophecies, most of the speaking God did, it was about judgment and destruction that was coming for them. But we do we would see rays of hope for the believers. You would see those little you know you know that that hope for the remnant. And you know what? There were always some saved people during that time because even when we get to the Gospels, when Jesus was born, there were some good people there, weren't there? You know, you had John the Baptist's family, you know, who his, his family was a good family, saved people. When Jesus was born, you had the, you know, the, the priest Simeon, who was one that was close with God, who had the Holy Ghost. So, I mean, we see examples. There were always saved people during that time. There were always righteous people. But unfortunately, they were really rare, weren't they? They were, they were, they were hard to find. And during the, those were very, very difficult times. And I personally believe in America today, because of the fact that we're so blessed, we have a famine of the word of the Lord. Think about how good God has been to churches in the United States. I mean, look at what, I mean, just look at the palaces some of these places are. Just the beautiful buildings we have, the amount of money that many of these churches have, the comfort of these churches. Look at, I mean, all the resources that we have, and I'm talking about churches as a whole. Look at all that we have with virtually no persecution. But what are people doing with it? You know what they're doing? They're not giving the goods. There's a famine of the word of the Lord. You know, you ought go, you know, go on YouTube sometime and just look up some of these random Baptist churches, alright? And just listen to the preaching that goes on in these churches. It's a joke. 
It is a joke how little is said, how little is taught. I was listening to this one preacher the other day, and he was he was go, I, I forgot even what the subject was. The subject caught my attention, and I'm listening to the message, and he he admits it. He he's doing his message right out of a Sunday school curriculum. He doesn't even do his own study. He's just using a curriculum right there in his church. This is the pastor of the church doing that. Like you can't study the Bible yourself and figure out your own lessons. You got to use somebody else's curriculum, really. And because I was listening to him too, and he was just—I forgot what the subject was, but I just—I noticed it was just way too textbook. You know, it was just—and and then finally he did—he he admitted he was using a curriculum. And I thought, good night. You know, what, what is wrong? But I mean, just think about how many churches are out there that just won't touch certain subjects. They're afraid to talk about, you know, perversion. They're afraid to talk about homosexuality. Unfortunately, churches like ours that actually, you know, aren't afraid to bash the queers, we're looked at as like nuts today. Why? Everybody was preaching it at one time. Everybody did at one time. It's amazing how many doctrines people don't understand. It's amazing how many people, too, even preachers, don't even hardly understand things about the Trinity. Not that they're just even wrong on the Trinity. They just don't know. And we're seeing this, too, where you have all these false accusations coming our way about what we teach on the Trinity, and you have people, preachers, that are asking questions, and it's clear they don't know the subject very well. Why is that? Why is it when we live in a country where we've got churches on every street corner, when we've got Bible colleges all over the place, people are more scriptural illiterate than ever before? Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. This famine of the Word of the Lord that we have today, I don't believe this famine is because of something that God's doing. I believe it's just because we've got people today that are just shutting their mouths and are afraid to open them. And you know what? I'm getting tired too of these pastors that are out there and they're talking about churches like ours, you know, stealing people's sheep and, you know, they get mad because people come and they'll visit our church that are from other Baptist churches and I don't call their pastors and I don't tattle on them and things like that. And you know, I just want to just sometimes hit these preachers over the head. One of these days I'm going to do it. Alright, one of these days the wrong one's going to open his mouth and I'm just going to have to say something. And it's like, you know, you all see what we've got here. Why would somebody drive two or three hours to come visit our church when there's way cooler churches with way more fun stuff right by them? What do we have to offer that they, you know, that they don't have? The only thing we offer here that they don't have is we just tell it like it is. Well, they could start doing that tomorrow. And it doesn't cost anything to just tell it. Well, it does actually cost because then Mr. Moneybags, you know, packs up and leaves. But you know what? Who cares about Mr. Moneybags? That, that, that's all we do. I can't. You know, there, I should not even be able to compete with some of the churches that I'm competing with. Yet I am. Why? I'm just telling it like it is. That's it. That's all. That, that's all I'm doing. But you know what? People today in a lot of these churches, they got to come here, whatever they can. And this is the way some of the people tell me they come here every once in a while. They'll drive two and a half hours to come here to get some meat. That's what they. That's what they say. We've got a family. They, every great once in a while, they'll come out here and visit just when they get hungry for some meat. Why isn't their pastor giving them any meat? I freely ye receive, freely give. All right. I was taught the meat of the word. It was given to me for free. So you know what? I should be able to give it out for free. But these people, they can't do it. 
They're holding, they're holding people back. And we do. We've got a famine of the word of the Lord today. It's very clear that people are more scripturally illiterate than ever when you see all the new heresies that are popping up in Baptist churches. When you see some of the evangelists that are out there today who are widely accepted in many Baptist churches, when Bill Grady is going and preaching in all the Baptist churches he does with Bible colleges, Bill Grady, I mean, he preached at Providence Baptist College, preached in Brother Gomez's church, and preached a bunch of nutcase stuff. Bill Grady just recently preached at my own uncle's church and spoke where he has a Bible college. He likes to go to the Bible college churches so he can sell his books. That's where the false prophets go to spread their damnable heresies to the Bible college churches that are training everybody. Now, you know, on my uncle's defense, I don't know if he, how much he knows about Bill Grady. I don't know if he has heard some of the crazy things that he has taught. I don't know. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I didn't call him up and chew him out or anything like that for it, you know. If, if, he, if he asked my opinion or asked what I know, I'll be glad to tell him. But at the same time, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking, I'm sure he has it. I, 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 when, I, when I saw that he was there, I was like, I really hope he had, didn't preach the message that he's been preaching everywhere. Because at the, because these, some of these pictures I saw were taken after he preached. And it's like, if he preached that there, I'd like to think you guys are smart enough that you'd have thrown him out on his backside at the end of that message. But they're probably not. At the same time, I kind of hope he did preach that message, and I'm hoping he told the Jimmy John story that he tells everywhere. But uh, my uncle would have been embarrassed if he knew it was me. But uh, that, that he was talking about in that story. I, I, I couldn't. They didn't have the message online. I don't know if it's because they don't put them up or they knew not to put it up. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. But... You know, when a guy like that is able to get into as many churches as he is, there's a famine of the word of the Lord in those churches. When Sam Gipp is not standing on a street corner with a tin cup, there is a famine of the word of the Lord in churches. I'm sorry, there clearly is a famine. And it shouldn't be that way. There's no excuse about that. We see... You know, remember the Bible says, you know, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The answer to that question is very clear. Yes. You know what? God did furnish a table in the wilderness. God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. You know what the Bible says? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. You know what we need to stop doing? Stop just praying so much for just God to pour out His physical, financial blessing on this country and ask that God would pour out His blessing when it comes to the Word of the Lord and that preachers would rise up that would unapologetically preach the Word of God. I, you know, and I, folks, you know me well enough to know that, you know, I struggle with humility sometimes, alright? I'm not being humble, alright? I hate people who are fake humble. I am not being fake humble. But I'm telling you right now, when somebody like Bill Grady spends as much time as he does talking about insignificant me, all right, when I matter, when I make a difference, something's wrong. All right, something's wrong when somebody like me, with my skills, my personality, is making is making waves. But I am. You know why? Because there's just not that many people that are doing what I'm doing. And I should be insignificant. I shouldn't matter. 
There are way more qualified, way more talented, way more gifted, way smarter people that could easily do what I'm doing and do it 20 times better than I'm doing it. But they're not doing it. So in the meantime, I matter. You know what? I, wanted, I, I can't wait till it gets to the point where I don't matter anymore. Where, I mean, people literally don't care. Uh, you know, what I think, where I don't matter, that if I do interrupt some evangelist, you know, lunch break, you know, that it's it's not going to be a story that's told, you know, all over the country. But it is in this day and age, it is in this, you know, desert that we live in in America of just with, there's just very few oases out there. But, you know, thank God people are popping up. Thank God that this kind of preaching, it is, I believe it is making a comeback. More and more people are stepping up to the plate. Thank God for that. But we need to pray for God to bless our country, not with food and water, but with the Word of God. That's what we need to be praying for. And I believe that God will send that. And you say, well, no, we need, we need these other things too. God can furnish a table in the wilderness. Let's not worry about the bread. Let's not worry about the water. Let's worry about the Word of God and let God take care of the bread and water. And so, you know what? I'm fine if the grid goes down. I'm fine if the tribulation starts. I'm fine with all that stuff because you know what? Even if they don't have any food or drink, even if we do have to take a mark if we're going to buy or sell or anything like that, you know what? There's nothing that can, as long as nothing stops me from proclaiming the Word of God, I think we're going to be fine. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. And as long as I'm around, I'm going to make sure there's no famine of the Word of God in the Sterling Rock Falls area. We're going to make sure people are getting a healthy dose of it out here. And then, and if we have to, Joseph's brothers might just have to keep traveling over here, you know, to get some food. Because they're starving where they're at. And uh, these other churches are just going to have to deal with that. Or they can just start, they can just start dishing it out themselves. And they'll be fine. So anyway, I hope that was a blessing to you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we, we know, Lord, there doesn't have to be a famine of the word of God. That we can open our mouths boldly and we can uh, spread the message. And I pray you'll help us to learn not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from your mouth. And I just pray, uh, Lord, you'll just help there be a uh, an awakening and a revival of the word of God being preached. Lord, there's definitely a famine that we're seeing in this country. And dear God, I pray that, um, I pray you'll help us to get right before you, uh, have to take away the, the good things physically that you've blessed us with. I'm afraid has, uh, caused us to forget you. Lord, we just, we want to see you do a work. I pray you will. In your name we pray. Amen.